Good morning, church. So today is the fourth part in our series. Um, we've been doing a series on honoring God, um, giving Him the highest honor, right? So in the first uh, service, as some of you will know, we spoke about honoring God with our words. And that means honoring God in all that we say, in all that we do, that our word is our bond, not being quick to promise people something and then not stick to that word. Amen. Making sure that what it is that we say builds people up, that it brings life, that it does not bring death. The word also says that uh, in the power of the tongue is life and death. Amen. This small little rudder in our mouth steers the ship of our lives. And we can create realities with the words that we speak. Amen. So let us speak life. The second service we spoke about, honoring God with our our relationships. Amen. So what's awesome about that is that God doesn't only want to reconcile us with him to restore that relationship, which is the ultimate relationship, but he also wants to restore us with our fellow man. Amen. And we have had awesome testimonies over the last couple of weeks as a result of that. And the third one was honoring God with our, with our time. Um, and that means that coming on time, right? So, which is also alluding to the first one, that we are people of our word, that we stick to our word. Our word is our bond, coming on time. But also that we invest our time, that God has given us this gift of time. We all have the same amount of time in the day. And from that point of view, some of us achieve much and others do not. What are you doing with your time? Um, and I want to give a short testimony. I'm going to keep the brother's name to myself. But in this week, we had a connect group. And the one connect member came and he was like complaining bitterly. He was like, ah, this, 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 that, nothing. But what was awesome is he was complaining to his God. He says he was wrestling with God that morning. Wrestling with God. And he's sitting in the connect group and he's like, look, I, I, I don't necessarily really want to be here, but I'll, I'll honor the commitment, right? So he was sticking to all three. He was honoring his word that he would be there. He was honoring his relationship with us as fellow brothers. And he was honoring the time um, to be there. And God blessed him. At the end of that meeting, we had an awesome, awesome connect group. At the end of the meeting, a couple stands up that were sitting in the restaurant with us. And they walk out the door. And they're like, hey, we know you. How's it? And they start having a conversation. And at the beginning of the connect, he was complaining about lack. And at the end of the connect, this gentleman comes up to me and is like, you're still in business, right? Here's my card. I'm doing a gig in the north. I would love to partner with you. Huh? And that is the God who we serve. Amen? That's the God who we serve. He honors his word. And he honors our faithfulness. Amen? So today we're going to talk about work. Honoring God with our work. And how many of you feel like work is a drudgery? It's labor. It's a curse. For many of us, it's a curse. And the only reason that we get up in the morning to do what it is that we do is to pay the bills. Is because of money. Hmm? Because there's expectations. Expectations from the wife, from the husband, from the children, from the cousin, from the mother, from our fathers. Everybody's expecting us to bring home the bacon. And that's the only reason that we get up in the morning for the money. Huh? But hey, look, we're patient. We'll endure it. We'll keep going through the motions. We'll run this rat race for now. Because we'll be patient, you know, maybe one day there'll be a reward for us, somewhere down the line, you know. Uh, for my industry, for instance, I work in asset management, we are very guilty of promising people things of the future, right? 
Work hard your whole life. Put all your money away. Give it to me. And that gentleman right there, huh? Shivi, come on. And then one day in the future, you can enjoy it. When you retire, and then you can sit on a beach and sip on cocktails and watch the sun go down. But for now, it's not your portion. Right now, it's all about the work and saving right now for the future. Amen? Well, that's what a lot of people like to think work is about. Um, But the fact of the matter is that let's turn to the Word, and we'll see that in the Word, um, it speaks about in Genesis 3, verse 17. And some people will refer to this scripture verse and say, well, well, maybe work is a curse, right? Because it says so in the Bible. And in verse 3, 17 to 19, it reads, And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife. So what happened? God had created the world. He put Adam and Eve in the garden. God had given them dominion over the earth and over Eden. And God said, work it for me. And it was a blessing to them. And then Adam did what? He listened to his wife. (laughs) And he's blaming his wife now. And he's saying, because of this woman that you gave me, I have sinned. And God says, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. And by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground. Cursed. Cursed by our creator. Hmm? And this is how many of us look at work, right? Um. And we look at it as this balancing act now. Work is this thing that interferes with my life. Never mind that work is where you spend most of your time, for most of us in any case. And if you're a student, it is what you have to look forward to, correct? It's this day in, day out, constant grind. And we feel like if we are good at our work, then it means that our life must suffer. And if we're good at our life, then it means that our work suffers. You know, I can't be, be both. Okay? I can't do both. Um, and so we do this balancing act all the time. And the world loves to push this agenda, correct? But is that the truth? Is that what God has called us to? Hmm? When God sent Jesus to save us, he came to redeem us once and for all, and all of us, correct? Our body, mind, and soul. And we cannot separate ourselves from our body, just as we cannot separate our souls from our minds or our spirits from our minds, right? So God came to redeem us all, and that includes your everyday life, your coming and your going. Everything needs to be redeemed, including your work life. Um, And so many of us buy into this concept, right? That because of this drudgery, this day in, this day out, that I haven't been this excited about Friday since last Friday. Hmm? And the first five days of the week, of the weekend are the hardest. Or the first five days after the weekend are the hardest. Um, And even the world will agree with us as believers. Thank God it's Friday. They don't acknowledge any of the other days. But thank God it's Friday. I may be an agnostic or an atheist or whatever, but thank God it's Friday. And as believers, we buy into this as well, don't we, huh? We also send out these memes on a Friday. 
And when Monday rolls around, there's a whole host of other memes, right? Oh, the drudgery begins again. Here it begins again. And it's the same when you step into the elevator and you speak to your colleague. Hey, how are you doing? Ah, it's Monday. Ah. And come Friday, oh, it's Friday. We're living for the weekend. Weekend special. Yeah? But is this biblical? Okay, well, let's have a look. Let's see what, what the word says about it, right? Um, so, we know that work became a curse because of Adamson. And it's not good enough that Adam blamed his wife. The Bible says that sin came into the world because of one man, Adam. And what is it that God expected us to, what was the interaction between work and us? Did God actually create work? Is work from God? Okay, well, let's see what it says. Genesis 1 verse 28 says, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth on the earth. So before there was sin, God gave us the mandate to work the earth. But he gave it in such a way that he says it would be a blessing to us. As we put in, the, worth, the, world, the world would give back to us. Our effort would be rewarded commiserately. But since the fall, what happens? We put in and the ground just produces thorns and thistles. It curses us because of our sin. In Genesis 2 verse 15, after God had created this beautiful earth, this amazing earth that he wanted us to have dominion over. He said to Adam, So the Lord God took man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. God blessed us with this. And this world is beautiful. God has given us far more than what we need in this earth. This earth, this mother nature, has taken care of billions and billions of people over many, many millennia. And it keeps giving back to us, no matter how much we abuse it, Right? Um, this world is beautiful. Um, and it was also commanded after the fall. So yes, we had creation. We had God give us our mandate. Adam failed God. And the ground was cursed because of him. But after that, God still also says to us that we need to work. It's still a command. It's still an expectation. And in Exodus 20 verse 9, which is where Moses is getting the Ten Commandments from God, God says, six days you shall labor and do all your work. And on the seventh day, you will rest. Right? Which is the commandment, the fourth commandment, which is to adhere to the Sabbath. And in Ephesians 4 verse 28, it says, The thief who has become a believer must no longer steal, but instead he must work hard, making an honest living, producing that which is good with his own hands, so that he will have something to share with those in need. So Jesus came as a result to redeem this world. That's something that I referred to earlier. Not only to redeem us and reconcile us with him, but to reconcile the world to him as well, right? And because of that, God also wants to redeem our work. Amen? So Jesus came to drag this world out of the clutches of death and darkness and into the light and into life with him. And yes, the world is still in a fallen state, but guess what? There's good news, right? 
because the people that are sitting in this room are the good news. We have been reconciled to Christ. We are the ambassadors of Christ. We have been saved. We've been given a new spirit man inside of us that is alive. So even though the world is broken, and this has been a very broken week for Namibia, we were talking about it like, and there's lots to complain about. There's lots to point finger at. But at the same time, we are the good news. We are the carriers of the good news of Christ and this world being redeemed. And we are going to bring the kingdom of heaven, like, of heaven down to earth. Correct? So what is work? Well, if we know that God created work, and even though we live in a fallen world, we know that we have been redeemed, what does God expect of us? Colossians 3 verse 23 to 24 says, Whatever you do, work heartily. Heartily means with all of your heart. Amen? With all your emotion, with all your oomph. As for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Amen? And that's what's fantastic about being a believer is that we don't work for a boss. Maybe there's nothing noble about your boss. Maybe there's nothing noble about your clients if you own a business. Maybe all they do is drive you nuts all day long. But let's remember the testimony of a certain man named Joseph. Joseph was what? A slave. And the world called him prosperous. Amen? Even though he was a slave, even though he was in jail, he still served his God with all of his heart, with all of his mind. And he brought a piece of heaven down to earth. Amen? So it doesn't matter what it is that your work circumstances might be like. It might be a prison, just as what Joseph had to deal with. It might be the pit. But the fact of the matter is that we still work for God. We do not work for man. We do not work for an earthly boss. We work for a heavenly boss. So how do we honor God with our work? I think there's a few slides missing there. Um, okay. So how do we honor God with our work? Let's just go back. In the first one, it says, we go about his work. Amen? The second one is, we rely on him as the source of our strength. Number three, we work diligently. Number four, we be the salt and the light. Um, so what does it mean to do God's work? We go about his work. In John 17, verse 1 to 5, we see there that Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and is what um, theologians will call doing his high priestly prayer. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays these words and he says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And verse 4, I glorified you on this earth, having accompanied, accomplished the work that you have given to me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you 
before the world existed. So even our Lord Jesus Christ, when he came down to this earth, came with a mission. Amen? And he wasn't done on this earth until he had finished the work that his heavenly Father had given him to do. And only then did he go back to heaven. And this is what God calls every single one of us to do. If you are sitting here today, it's not an accident. You do not exist on this earth because of a fluke, because of a mistake. You are here for a reason and for a purpose, and God has placed you here on this earth to do the good works that he has prepared for you in advance. Amen? So in the world, Steve Jobs is seen as a pioneer, right? As a giant in the, in the business world. So what does the very wise Steve Jobs say? He says, the only way to do great work is to love what you do. If you haven't found it yet, keep looking. Don't settle. As with all matters of the heart, you'll know when you find it. Okay, there's a bit of sarcasm in my voice. Because worldly wisdom and man's wisdom is like foolishness in front of our God. Amen? And oftentimes many things that God says seems like foolishness to the world. And many of you, I'm sure, work in a job that you do not love. Huh? Your heart isn't in it. So what does that mean? Should you listen to Steve Jobs and go home and sit down until you find what it is that your heart tells you you need to do? Hmm? Or should you do what the Word says? Well, let's see what the Word says. In Matthew 22, verse 37 to 39, it says, and this is Jesus, who, was try, who the Sadducees, who were religious leaders at the time, were trying to trick Jesus. So they were testing his theology, trying to see if they could catch him out. And so they asked him, what is the greatest commandment in the Bible? And there were many, many, many different commands, right? And lots of law. And Jesus succinctly sums it up in these few lines. And he says, and he said unto them, the greatest command, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the fact of the matter is that even if you don't love your job, as Steve Jobs says, you must find something that moves your heart. But even if you don't find that, so what? It doesn't matter. God has called us to love him with all our heart and all our mind. And he has called us to love our fellow man. And that trumps everything. That is our greatest calling. Amen? And so from that point of view, if you do this wholeheartedly, God will lift you up. God will promote you. The Bible also says that promotion comes from God. It doesn't come from our earthly bosses. And who's our boss? It's God. So let's obey him and let's look to what it is that he says that we should do. Um, so I want to give you guys like a story as well from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis uh, was an apologist from, I think he died in the 60s or so. Um, and he wrote the book Mere Christianity. And in Mere Christianity, he talks about uh, that we are like ships at sea. Amen? So we are these ships at sea, and we need to answer three questions as these ships at seas. Okay, the first question is, why are you there to begin with? What is that ship doing there? Number two, the ship needs to know where, um, how to move, right? It needs to make sure that it doesn't bump into objects, into other ships. Number three, the ship needs to be integrous. It needs to be sound. It can't have holes in it. Right? It needs to have an engine to make sure that it keeps going. 
And from that point of view, we are like those ships, and we need to answer those questions, he says. Why are we here? We're here because God has placed us here. Where are we going? Well, we know that God is the one that directs our lives, that he orders our steps. How is it that we can make sure that we are integrous? Well, we spend time in the word. We make sure that this engine inside of us is running on spiritual fuel and not on the fuel of this world. And that is ultimately how it is that we go about our God's business. So, I want to point out to you guys as well that there's no distinction between your secular calling and your spiritual calling. Just because, okay, Pastor Chris is a bad example. Pastor Hilma, Pastor Hilma is a full-time minister, and people like to see her as a spiritual leader, right? And I say Pastor Chris is a bad example because he has a day job and he's got his calling as well. But Pastor Hilma is a full-time minister, and many in the church like to look at somebody like that and be like, well, they've got a spiritual calling, and I don't really have a spiritual calling. What I do from Monday to Friday is my secular job, and in there, I can do as I please, I can act as I want to, I don't have to act as a believer. But who knows that God has called us and redeemed us entirely, correct? And so from that point of view, Monday to Sunday, 24 hours a day, we are serving our God. And from that point of view, there is no distinction between your secular calling and your spiritual calling. Raising hands and praising God is not reserved for a Sunday. Okay? It is there on a Monday. It is there on a Tuesday. It is the fuel that keeps us going. And when we're at work, what is the atmosphere that we are setting at work? Are we standing by the water cooler, complaining with everybody else as well about our boss and how terrible they are and complaining about how terrible the economy is? And how everything is just terrible and this work that we're in is a drudgery. Or do we speak life when we're at work? Do we change the atmosphere of our colleagues? Do we point them in the right direction? Do we not badmouth the boss? We need to make an impact that matters. I'm borrowing that from Deloitte. My wife works for Deloitte. <laughs> make an impact that matters. It doesn't matter what your job is. It doesn't matter if you're the street sweeper or the CEO of the company, ask yourself that question every day. Is what I'm doing right now making an impact? We need to love and serve in the workplace. The disciples who had spent three full years with Jesus Christ, even they, towards the end, didn't really get it. Even they were asking Jesus, Jesus, when we're in heaven, who's going to sit at your right hand? And in that culture... Sitting at the right hand means that you're second in charge, right? So Jesus is in charge. I give him that. But I want to sit at your right hand, God. We've been serving with you. We've been walking all over Israel. We've been slogging it out, healing the sick, uh, you know, making the blind see. Which one of us is going to be elevated to number two in heaven? And what does Jesus say to them? Those of you that want to be first must be a slave. Huh? You need to serve. If you want to be first, if you want to be the greatest, you must serve. And we should do the same thing in the workplace. It doesn't matter what your title is. There's nothing stopping you from serving people who are beneath you. Huh? Just because you're the manager doesn't mean that you can't serve those who, who report into you. Huh? To make them a cup of coffee. Huh? 
to give them a little bit of water, to fetch their printing from the printer. Just because you've got the corner office doesn't mean that you're above anybody else. You're not greater than anyone else. And in the end, the reward that we will get in the life hereafter will have nothing to do with the size of your bank balance or have anything to do with the possessions that you have. The word says, store up uh, treasures for yourself in heaven that do not rust and deteriorate. Amen? Disciple your colleagues subtly. I say subtly because not all of our colleagues are believers, right? So, I mean, we can't go in there and be like, listen here, let me lay hands on you and cast out these devils because right now (laughs) this can only be demonic. Let's disciple our colleagues. And how do you disciple your colleagues, even if they're not believers? It's in the words that we use. It's in the way that we honor um, our time, honor our word, how it is that we relate to one another. We do not bite each other's heads off. Yes, you can be firm, but we don't lash out at one another. And that is discipling. And if you're in a position of leadership, even more so, because people will follow your lead. And from that point of view, you are discipling. But we can disciple up as well. You can disciple your boss. Number two, we need to rely on him, meaning God as a source of our strength. All of the stuff that I was saying before might seem like an impossibility. How do we go about loving our colleagues and loving our bosses and loving our clients? And where's all this love supposed to come from? Huh? <laughs> when people are pounding you and driving you into the ground. What's great is that God doesn't expect us to do it in our own strength. It says, now to him who is able to carry out his purpose and do super abundantly more than all that we dare ask or think infinitely beyond our greatest prayers, hopes, or dreams according to his power that is in work within us. And we love that first part of the scripture, right? We love to quote that. God who can do amazing things far more abundantly than anything that I can think or imagine, right? But the fact of the matter is that there's two requirements. His power must be inside of us, and it needs to work through us. It requires our action. It is not a passivity. It's not sitting there and waiting for God's power just to supernaturally ooze out of us, right? And the heavens open up and things just fall in place. God needs us to move. He needs us to work with him. Number three, we need to work diligently. In Proverbs 14, verse 23, it says, all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. And we love to talk. Namibians are awesome at talking, right? We can complain about the politicians. We can complain about our bosses. We can complain about how corrupt the police are. We love to talk about how bad the drivers are and how it's just terrible. But it's all just talk. What are we doing about it? Yeah? And God has given us his Holy Spirit. Therefore, we are super powerful beings walking around here. Right? We have this Holy Spirit living inside of us. And from that point of view, it means that we are powerful. Do we act like it? Or do we just use our words? And in Proverbs 6, verse 6 to 11, it says there, and I love this scripture verse, it's almost sarcastic. Eh? It's almost tongue-in-cheek. But let's read it. Go to the ant, O lazy one. Observe her ways and be wise. 
which having no chief, oh, and we love our chiefs in Africa, overseer or ruler, she prepares her food in the summer and brings her provisions of food for the winter in the harvest. How long will you lie down, O lazy one? When will you arise from your sleep and learn self-discipline? Yet a little sleep and a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to lie down and rest. So your poverty will come like an approaching prowler who walks slowly but surely. And your need will come like an armed man or robber making you helpless. Are you lazy? Are you lazy? And look, I'm preaching to myself here today as well, right? We all like to roll in a little bit every once in a while, especially when it's cold, right? We like to like snuggle up and be like, ah, it's fine, I'll sort that out tomorrow. We like to procrastinate. But so your poverty will come. It'll like a thief. It'll come and steal what is rightfully yours. God has given you many blessings, but he still needs us to be the ones who work it out in the very real way. Amen? So how is it that we should work diligently? We should not desire quick fixes or riches. Um, In Namibia, we love the stories of the rags to riches. And many of us will talk about, have you seen how this one and that one has done this? And maybe we'll even whisper in the corridors about, no, I heard his dad stole diamonds. No, it's diamond business. That's where they got their money from. Oh, no, ah, he's just a tenderpreneur, man. He does nothing. He's just middleman. Maybe that is true. Maybe there is a couple of those guys around. But I can tell you now, the vast majority of people who succeed in life do so because of hard work. It's grafting. And maybe there was a lucky break somewhere along the way. But for many of us, you create your own luck. And as believers, we don't believe in luck in any case, right? But the fact of the matter is that as a man sows, so shall he reap. And that's in Galatians 6. If you are sowing laziness, if you are sowing sleep, if you are slowing, so, um, if you're sowing corruption and discontent, and if you are sowing evilness and bad words and What is your reward? What is your harvest? What is it that you can expect? But if you are sowing hard work, if you are sowing diligently, if you are on time, if you are diligent, what will your reward be? Well, the word is is true when it says that your seed will come back to you 60, 70, 100 fold. God expects us to co-labor with him. As mentioned before, we are not here God doesn't just puppet master us. He doesn't just pull his strings and make us dance around. God is a gentleman. He doesn't force himself on any of us. It is up to every single one of us to move and to accept him. And if we accept him, what does he do? He infuses us with his power. But then we need to do something with that power. We need to co-labor with him. And that is the Great Commission. Jesus says, go out in all the world and preach the good news to the ends of the world. Who's doing that? Not Jesus. Jesus is not the one that's preaching anymore. He was here for a time, and then he left. And he said, I'm sending you my Holy Spirit so that you can go. And there's beauty in the process. 
there is beauty in the process. Think about anything that is beautiful. Think of like a beautiful painting. Think of a beautiful sculpture of an amazing tall building. These things don't happen on their own. It is hard work. It is process. It is years of slogging it out day in and day out. The story goes that a famous painter was sitting in a restaurant and he's sitting in the restaurant and somebody walks up and they're like, I know you. You're that famous painter. Let's call him Picasso. You're Picasso. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I am. Sipping on his coffee, smoking a cigarette. And he's sketching around there and then he tells him, listen, like Mr. Picasso, can you please draw me a, like a picture, just like on this napkin? Mr. Picasso's like, yeah, sure. And he draws something there, he sketches it. It takes him about five minutes and he hands it to him. And he says, that'll be a million dollars. And the gentleman looks at him, but Mr. Picasso, this took you five minutes. He's like, no, it took me a lifetime. Yeah? And that's what we forget. There's beauty in the process. It takes us time to get there. And God took his time with us. It says that God spoke the world into being. Right? He spoke the birds. He spoke the trees. He spoke everything into being. But when it came to man, what did he do? Genesis 2 verse 7, it says he formed us out of the dirt. And then he breathed his life into us. He took his time with us. So let's also be accepting of this process. And there is a dignity to work. In Leviticus 23 verse 22, it's a scripture verse where Jesus is, um, he gave uh, the law to Moses. Moses is sharing it with the Israelites. And it's a process where Moses is telling the people, when you go out and harvest, don't harvest to the edges of your field. Just harvest some of it, right? Like to the corners and then leave like the corner on each side, like a circle in a square. And why did he do that? So that the corners, you could leave that for the poor, those people who don't have. But what's beautiful about the way that God constructed this concept, right, is that the poor didn't get the food for free. They still needed to go out and work. They had to go gather it themselves. Huh? And that's what's beautiful. That's what's dignified about work. Work gives us dignity. Let's be the salt and the light. Amen? We are all very familiar with the scripture verse, but let's read it together. And it says in Matthew 5, verse 13 to 6, it says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything, except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So, what does that scripture verse teach us? Number one, we need to be useful. What good does it do if the salt is not salty? And yes, some of us may not have jobs. That doesn't mean that you're not useful. God has still given you those hands of yours. He's given you that strength in your bones. And he's given you a mind, an intellect that you can use. And just because you, doesn't, like, just because you don't have a job doesn't mean that you are not useful. You can still find something to do. Amen? And be a blessing. 
Be a blessing in your workplace. Wherever it is that God has put you, be a blessing. Be visible. Right? It says that we are the light of this world. You do not hide a light. You put it up on a stand. The world needs to see us for who we are. They need to see the goodness and the light inside of us. And I want to speak to the men specifically. Be visible at home as well. Amen? Pastor Chris was saying at the beginning of the year that as men we need to appreciate our wives. Right? We need to be attentive. We need to give them affection. What is the best way to do that? Is to be visible at home as well. Be present. Just because you work hard at home doesn't mean that you can come and slog it out. At, um, just because you work hard at work doesn't mean that you can come home, put your feet up, and expect to be served. Amen? Many of our women today are working as well in the workplace. Okay? Many of our women are working in the workplace as well. They are just as tired when they come home. They've worked just as hard when they come home. And to those women who are stay-at-home moms, bless you. You are working as well. You are doing what it is that God has called you to do as well. And in everything that you do, do it as unto our Heavenly Father. Amen? And you are also um, to be praised and to be adored and to be lifted up and to be admired. And then act with integrity. If you're going to be put, it, put up on a stand... And if the world is going to look at you, you better make sure that you represent our Father correctly. Amen? Don't call attention to yourself if you're just going to let our Father down over and over and over again. And look, we do fail, guys. I'm not saying we're perfect. We're far from it. And when we make mistakes, what do we do? We admit them. And we show people that we are broken. Amen? But let's act with integrity. Amen? And give glory to God. All that we do is for him and for him alone. We do not work for earthly masters. We only work for our heavenly father. So to sum it up, how do we honor God with our work? We go about his work. And his work is to love him and to love our fellow man. Amen? And if you're involved in any corrupt practices, that is not God's work. Amen? Repent of that. Turn from your wicked ways. <laughs> and receive forgiveness. This is your opportunity. Number two, we rely on Him as the source of our strength. The mandate that God has given us is impossible. It's huge. It's, it's, it's not something that we can do in our own strength. Even with the people who are closest to us, it's impossible. How much more those people who we do not know? The only way that we can do it is if we rely on our God. And the fact of the matter is, it's not an effort. You have been born again. God has given you his spirit. Just act like it. Amen? And if you can't act like it, fake it. Eventually it'll work. Number three, work diligently. Oh, lazy one. A little bit of sleep, a little bit of slumber. So your poverty will come. And again, if you are unemployed... And if your business is not doing well right now, keep going at it. Keep working diligently. God will raise you up. Amen? God will reward you. And number four, let's be the salt and the light, guys. Let's go out there into the world and make a difference. Can you imagine if every single one of us acted the way that Jesus expects us to? Right? If we would go out there and 
not bump into the other ships haphazardly. If we would be that ship that acts with integrity, that knows the course that's been plotted out for us, and calls others to also follow along and obey our Heavenly Father. Amen? And there's many people in this auditorium, and if each one of us were to take this seriously, we will change this city, guys. We are people of influence, every single one of us. No matter how low your job may be or how high up you might be, every single one of us has a sphere of, inf- a sphere of influence. And if we were to act as the Bible and as Jesus teaches us to, we would change the city radically. We would change this nation radically. Amen? Amen. So can we stand up and let's pray. And if you are here today and, and you're struggling um, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're struggling, if your business is not doing well, if you've been retrenched, if you've been off, if your life is not where you expected it to be at this stage, I want to ask you to raise your hand and let's pray together. Lord, I just want to pray for for every hand that's raised here today, Lord God, for every person, Lord God, who has lack. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would um, bring to their remembrance, Lord, your word, that they will stand in authority, Lord God, in every single thing that they do, knowing, Lord, that they do not serve earthly masters, but that they serve a heavenly Father, Lord, who gives good gifts, a heavenly Father, Lord God, who wants to see us succeed, who came to redeem us wholly, Lord, body, mind, and spirit. And Lord, I pray that you would raise every single one of these men and women up, Lord God, that you will give them supernatural revelation, Lord God, that, they will, that you will birth in them new ideas, Lord. Ideas, Lord God, that will, that will be innovative, Lord God, that will change the landscape of Namibia forever, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God, that even in this time of need, Lord God, that we know where our hope comes from. Our hope comes from our Lord. And for that reason, Lord, we are not hopeless. Lord God, we are not defeated. We are not uh, pressed down, Lord God. We, Lord God, are victorious because we know that it is finished, that Christ has done it for us, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you died for our sins and that you have redeemed this world, that you are redeeming every single one of us, that we are being set aside, Lord God, and that we will be the difference that Namibia needs and that this nation needs, Lord God, that we will be the ones that stand in the gap, Lord, and that we will be the ones, Lord God, to be the salt and the light to this nation, Lord. Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that is with us every day. Your Holy Spirit that guides us. Bring to our remembrance these words, Lord God. May we not just walk out of here and forget about it, Lord. Let us walk out of here and do your word, Lord God. Let us be doers of your word, Lord God, and not just hearers of the word. We thank you, Lord God, for this mandate, Lord, which is heavy. But we know, though, that it is with you that we partner. And from that point of view, Lord God, we will overcome. And we thank you for this day and we thank you for this moment, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.